0: Let's turn to the Gospel of John. We've been reflecting on John chapter 18 and 19, and now we come to the fourth of our series. We consider the arrest of Jesus, his trial, his sentence, and today we consider his crucifixion. If you recall last week, we talked about how we heard how the the cross Is really a symbol of the curse, God cursing, God putting the curse for our sin upon His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, and we'll read verses 17 through 30. Verses 17 through 30. Let's hear God's word. And he, as Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but write this. He said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Then they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up. spirit. I'd like to reflect this morning on verse 30 with you. Verse 30, that's our focus, that's our text this morning. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray for God's blessing as we hear his word together. Oh Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures have been read and as your word is about to be proclaimed, that we may hear with joy what you say to us today. In Christ's name we ask, amen. So John 19, Verse 30 is our focus this morning, this afternoon. You no, know, beloved in Christ, man boasts. He makes great boasts in his own accomplishments. Nations, think of nations and leaders, they parade their own greatness and their own arrogance as if they are quite something. And God from heaven. He sends a tiny little bug he brings nations down. he humbles men and the confidence of men, the confidence of nations are being shaken at his very core today. Do you know what God has his way. God has his way of sounding the alarm, doesn't he? He uses ways to wake us up to the reality of a far more deadly virus, as we've seen in the last few weeks. A far more deadly virus is far more deadly than the coronavirus. It's this virus called sin. and Because of our sin in Adam, death comes to everybody. Not one person is skipped. And this deadly sin virus brings not just death, but brings eternal death. Think about it. When we disobeyed God, in Adam, when we disobeyed God in the garden, we rejected God. We rejected his friendship with us. We became, as the Bible says, we became his enemies. We became strangers. And therefore, we see the consequences all around us today, do we not? Without a solution to this real problem, This is the real crisis, the crisis of sin. Without a solution to this problem, mankind has no hope. And God, God has the solution, doesn't he? He calls us to humble ourselves and to turn in faith to his king, to the king, lifted high on the cross. Yes, the one crucified, body torn blood shed. We need a king, do we not? Who is willing, Whose soul loves, who's also able to die our death, who can take the punishment in our place so that we may have hope, sure hope that we may live forever. And I declare to you today from God's word that Jesus is that king that you and I need. May we boast, not in ourselves, but in his accomplishments. That's what we focus on today, on the accomplishments of our king, the king on the cross. You see, it's from the cross. He, the king, he proclaims his word of victory. What is that word? It is finished. It is finished was his cry. In the word, in this word, it is finished. We hear two things. We hear that for us. First of all, his work is finished. All his work is finished for us. And second of all, he gave up his life. See those two things from verse 30 this morning. His work is completely finished for us. And he gave up his life for us. Please understand, when you read John 19, don't see Jesus as a martyr. We have many martyrs in our world today. But Jesus is the Savior. He's the only substitute. He's the only sacrifice. That's who he is. And there he cries out on the cross, on our behalf, on the behalf of sinners, it is finished. You know, it's almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon Friday. Jesus had been on the cross now for almost six hours, beginning at nine in the morning, and now it's near three o'clock. And you notice earlier in our reading in John chapter 19, verses 17 to 22, Pilate wrote this title. He had this inscription written on the cross above Jesus' head. And in this inscription, this it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, And this was Pilate's way of getting back at the Jews because they had tricked him into sentencing Jesus to death. Then then again, that was all in the plan of God, wasn't it? But this was Pilate's way of insulting the Jews. But you notice that the Jews wanted Pilate to write what? No, Pilate, you should write this. He said, he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I have written I have written. Once again, brothers and sisters, without Pilate realizing it, without Pilate realizing it, in this title, in this inscription, God is showing, God is revealing to us and to the world that Jesus is the King. This is the truth. He's the promised Messiah. Jesus is publicly crucified. The world is gathered, you could say, around the cross. And there on the cross, he is publicly proclaimed as king in all the languages at that time. What were the languages of that time? It lists them. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He's the king. He's the king over all people of whatever language. He's the world's only hope that's already being declared back then. How true it is today. And now, in those final minutes on the cross, our crucified king, Jesus, you know, hell came to him on the cross. He was forsaken as no one else has ever been forsaken. And at that moment, he asks for refreshment. He asks for something wet to touch his lips. After all, he needs strength. Don't forget, he's truly human like us in every way. Yes, son of God, truly God, but also truly human. And he needs strength to proclaim this word of victory so that all the world may hear it. His mouth is dry. His mouth is parched. He's hardly able to speak. And you notice as soon as he receives the sour wine, which was placed on a sponge, in a sponge, attached to a stick, Brought to his lips. As soon as that happens, he then proclaims the most significant words ever spoken. One word in the Greek language, but three words in our English language. It is finished. It is finished. One word in the original language. The question is what is finished? What does that mean? Are we to conclude he's saying that, oh, my life is finished. Sure, the enemies would have loved that. The enemies saw him, his life finished, and they thought that was the end. But that's not what he means here. What does he mean by the words, what is finished? What Christ is saying is that he has fulfilled, he has accomplished, there's that word again, he has accomplished all the work his father has given him to do for our salvation. He has accomplished all the work to satisfy God's justice against us for our sin, but at the same time to redeem us, to save us from our sins. All of it has been accomplished by him, by him alone. What an accomplishment. You know, his work wasn't given to him suddenly at that time. It was already announced at the beginning of history, at the dawn of history. His work was announced already in Genesis 3.15. You can go to that passage, Genesis chapter 3. There we read the account of man, our first parents, falling into sin. And man rejecting God and saying, no thanks God. And man breaking that fellowship with him, that relationship with him. And bringing death upon himself. Yeah, death is God's punishment for sin. But God gave his promise. God gave his promise in his grace. Yet in all his grace, he gave a promise of a king. The promise of the seed of a woman who would conquer death, who would crush the head of Satan so that you may be delivered So that his people may be delivered from the tyranny of sin, from the prison of sin, from eternal death, and from Satan. It's from that time, understand, way back at the dawn of history, it's from that time the work of Christ began. Began then. Remember the seed of the woman. It's through the seed of the woman that the king would eventually be born and come into the world. That would be 4,000 years later. He was to be born through the people of Israel. It's very clear that this seed, the people of Israel, was the one through whom Jesus would come into the world. Do you know something about the seed, the people of God, the people of Israel? They couldn't conquer sin. They couldn't conquer Satan. They were not strong enough for that. You read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, and you read that they continually failed to obey God always straying, always wandering from the path of God, often rejecting the Lord and turning away from him. And yet God in his grace continually provided lambs, lambs. And what were those lambs a picture of? The one who was yet to come, the lamb of God. You know, daily, daily. They were offering lambs and calves to be slaughtered as sacrifices for their sins. You see throughout the Old Testament that longing, that cry for a king to come who would obey God perfectly in their place, but also one who would pay the full payment, who would come to take the full punishment upon himself for their sins. The ultimate, the true Lamb of God. No, God kept his promise. He's faithful to his promise. In the fullness of time, we, the Bible says God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hebrews 9 28 says, And he appeared for what purpose? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You hear that? He, he, he appeared for what purpose? To put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. What love. Being the sinless Son of God, he obeyed God perfect, perfectly in the place of sinners. Satan, you know, tried really, really hard to get Jesus to sin. Remember in the wilderness? Three times he tempted Jesus. Because he wanted to divert Jesus from accomplishing his task. And yet, Jesus obeyed his father. And then now, even on the cross, through his enemies, you see Satan trying really hard to get Jesus off the cross. If you are the son of God, the enemies are saying, come down from the cross. Satan was trying really hard to keep Jesus from accomplishing his work that the father gave him to do. And yet, the king, yet the son of God persevered. He endured through all the suffering and all the mocking, obeying his father perfectly in our place. You know, the Bible says, not with blood, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He sacrificed himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for whom? The ungodly. And now from the cross, he makes that proclamation public for all the world to hear. The word of victory. It is finished. All the work his father gave to do in our place is accomplished. God's promise is, which he gave way at the beginning of history, at the dawn of history, Genesis 3.15, is fulfilled. And all Satan could do, and that was prophesied Genesis 3.15 too, all Satan could do was just bite the heel of Jesus. That was his suffering and death on the cross. And yet by dying in our place, what does Jesus do? He gives a fatal blow to Satan's power. He crushes Satan's head. Those words, it is finished. Christ is saying, The battle has been fought for you and in your place, all who believe in Christ. The sacrifice is made. It's finished. It's finished. Think of it this way. When God finished the work of creating the world in six days, what did he do? He said, It was good. He rested. And now, this is the sixth word on the cross. There were seven words on the cross. This is the sixth word of Jesus from the cross, which marks his great accomplishment. The work of man's redemption and salvation is now completed. It is finished. He rested just as God Rested from his labors after creation. Full payment for sin has been made. You know, these words, it is finished. Is now a fountain of grace to all who come to Jesus in faith. It's a fountain of life. It's a fountain of hope. But yeah, we have to humble ourselves and confess our need for this kind of king. The one who took the punishment upon himself. The one who bled, the one whose body was torn for our sakes. Because that's what that's what sin deserves, that kind of punishment. You want to see how bad sin is and our how bad we are as sinners. Just look at the cross. That's what we deserve. That's a sentence that Christ took upon himself. But you know, what we need to see here is the comfort here, and the sure hope that. In these words, we see what Christ is really offering to us. Do you feel that you are not good enough for God? You're not. You're not good enough for God. No one is. Stop trying. Stop trying to be good enough for God. Stop treating Jesus, your king, as if there was some lack in his work for you. He said, and he meant it, he said, it is finished, paid in full. That's his word to you. Believe his word, which he uttered in his agony for you. Stop doubting. He did it all. Think about, you know, a, a debt which you can never pay. And Christ comes on the cross and, we, and he comes to pay the full debt of our sin. He not only levels our account, but he also fills it up with all the riches of his grace. It's finished. It's all yours. Through faith in him, it's finished. There's no more to be done. No more work to be done. Believe. You know, I'm reminded of the words of D.A. Carson. He says, perhaps, you know, if you doubt or if you're afraid or if you're struggling or if you're overwhelmed with the sense of your own sin during these difficult days, be encouraged that it's not how much faith you have, but the Lord Jesus in whom you place your faith. That's what matters. Because it's the Lord Jesus that silences your accusers. Look to him, not yourself. If you look at yourself, you only see sin. But you look to Jesus, you see the sinless one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has not left any part of his work undone. Not one thing is missing. Not one thing is unpaid. If something was left unpaid, if something was left undone, then his work would not be finished, and we would be in hell forever. There would be no salvation for anyone. On the cross, the king gives his shout of victory. It is finished. Paid in full. Is it too good to believe that? You know what? It's the truth. It's the word of God. He offers himself to you freely. Salvation is free. It's free at the cost of of his sacrifice for all who believe on him, embrace him. He's your life. He's the only life. He's the only foundation. His sacrifice is the only foundation for living. His work is finished, but also notice his work is finished. That includes the fact that he also gave his life for us. see that in the last part of verse 30. Notice, it's not only what he says. He backs up his word with what he does. (laughs) He backs it up with action. He was faithful always to what he said. And you see that here too. He says, it is finished. And now we read, as soon as he says those words, he bows his head and he gave up his spirit. Notice that. He bows his head. Why does he bow his head? Well, that's true That one who dies in that position like that, his head would just naturally droop. But I think there's more here. What he's wanting to show here is his own submission to the Father's will. He bows. He submits fully on our behalf to the Father's will. He has done all that the Father has given him to do. And now he gives it over to the Father by submitting himself to him in death. He offers himself. And bowing his head, we read, he gave up his spirit. What does that mean? This means that he gave up his life. He gave up his breath. There was no more breath left in him. Now you might ask, well, why doesn't it say, and he died? Why, is, why does John have to say it in this way and he gave up his spirit why not just simply say and he died but notice the wording he gave up his spirit god has a reason for saying it to us in this way he intended us for here to hear these words in this way he gave up his spirit he gave up or you could say he handed over his spirit what that means is in other words no one took his life away from him. But he laid down his life. He's the one who gave up his life. As no other man or woman or child in history has ever done. He the son of God. He had the authority, says the Bible, to lay down his life. Look at John 10, 17, 18. Jesus talked about that. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the authority. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Beautiful. So why is it so important that Jesus give up his own life? Why is it so important that no one else took his life from him? Think of it this way. If anyone else had put Jesus to death, then that person who put him to death would have contributed in some way to your and my salvation. It would not have been only Jesus. Then his sacrifice would not have been spotless because then the hand of a sinner is also involved in the contribution of his own work to the work of our salvation. No, this sacrifice was offered by Christ alone. He alone. And that also means he gave up his own life. Notice this. The Bible says that he offered himself without spot to God. Hebrews 9 verse 14. He accomplished the work. All the work. All himself. All alone Not even a finger was lifted to even put him to death. He gave up his life. It is finished. The king has accomplished all the father gave him to do for our salvation. And that includes Jesus giving up his own life for us. Now, how is Jesus' death a comfort to all who believe? Well, those who don't believe the punishment remains and it's horrible and it's a fearful thing. But for those who do believe, it's a great comfort because those who humble themselves and see their need for King Jesus who was crucified on the cross, notice this, his death is your life. Hear that? His death, by embracing Jesus, his death is your life, eternal life. Without Jesus giving up his life, we would have no salvation. He really died. It's not that someone else took him down the cross just before he died and someone else went up there in his place and died. No, he suffered on the cross. He remained on the cross until he gave up his life. He died. This is the truth. What happened when Jesus died? Death died. Death Dies. Death is killed in the death of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Death is killed. Death is killed. Death is destroyed in the death of Jesus. In Jesus, death faces its mortal blow. He's the king. He's the king over death. Jesus the king is the world's only hope. Isn't that true? Only the death of God's son can pay for your sin. His death on the cross is the answer to fear, to the fear of death. Through faith in him, through faith in Christ, you come to know that he died your death. The death you deserve so that you may live forever. He's the only one who can pay for your sins. He's the only one that can take fear out of death, that keeps you not from being Afraid of death because why is that? Because he takes the punishment out of death. Outside of Christ is only punishment forever, but by believing in Christ, he takes the punishment out of death because he took that punishment on himself. You know, in our catechism, in the Heidelberg Catechism, it says that that for all who believe, our death. For all who believe on Christ, our death is no longer a payment for sin. But then the question is, if he died for us, if Jesus died for us, then why do we still have to die? And that's a question you often hear a lot. If Jesus died for our sins and he took our death, then why do we still have to die? Well, for the believer, it's something totally different because now it's only a dying. When we die, it's only a dying to sin. In other words, It puts an end to our sinning. Our dying puts an end to our sinning. And death is a door, you could say. It's a dark door. Death is still an enemy, no doubt. But at the same time for the believer, the death is not an end in itself, but it becomes a door to life with God, to a door into the house of God, a door into eternal life. Perfect love casts out fear. Was that perfect love? Christ is. His love was perfect. So also was his love offering. He loved to the end. He loved to the full extent. He gave himself up for us. The king on the cross proclaims his word. It is finished. How do you respond? How do, how do we respond to this word from the cross. Don't respond as Christ's enemies did in that day. So many today want nothing to do with Jesus. They ignore him, they put him to the side, they reject him, and as they do that, they're really making their own bed in hell where payment for sin never ends. Either our sins are paid for in Christ or in hell forever. There's no other way. Either in Christ our sins are paid for or it's going to be in hell forever. That's the only choice that faces the world. That's That's the word from the king. Do you receive him? And his finished work on your behalf, turn to him, come to him in faith. He's the only hope. Turn to him in faith and in sorrow for your sin because it's forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin that we need. His death is life for you. That is for all who trust on him. Let us then offer our lives and thanksgiving and love to him for all that he has done for us. How can we not but offer ourselves to him? In thanksgiving. You know, in conclusion, there's a lot of bad news out there. But this is a day of good news, the best news. Share it. Let's boast in the greatest accomplishment ever made for mankind that's Christ. Let's boast in his accomplishments. Nations rise and fall. But the, top, but the cross of Christ towers over all times, over all the wrecks of time. This word remains true and endures forever and ever. Lift up the cross, lift high the cross. It's the only foundation for true living, for true, for true assurance. Christ said, it is finished. It is finished. Think of these words from a hymn written by Philip Bliss. The words go like this. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Amen.